For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. What about weather-related stories? I don't know, are we getting the Aurora Borealis down south at all? They're certainly getting it in northern counties. Would be a wonderful thing to see, wouldn't it? And certainly, uh, very clear skies recently, and you're seeing an awful lot of stars. If you're a bit of a stargazer, it's a, a fabulous time. But the stargazers in some parts of the country got the extra phenomenons, phenomenon, I should say, of the northern lights over the past few days, and they're a sight to behold. I hope, man, listen, maybe some down south along has seen it. Get in touch if you had have. Uh, unfortunately, uh, while yesterday was a big celebratory day because the ribbon cutting ceremony happened, we were talking about it on the air yesterday morning. The Echo has a photograph this morning of the Balavorni to Macroom bypass. Finally finished uh, a super job. Cost big, big money, many, many millions, uh, but worth it. Um, but at the same time as having the photograph of the ribbon cutting, the teacher, Glea Varadkar, has described the fact that there's been way too many road deaths. Um, and if you look at the stats, actually, as the Echo have them today, 165 people have died on our roads in Ireland this year. Uh, and that's more than the whole of last year. Uh, and unfortunately, since they went to print, uh, there's been even more casualties and deaths on our road. One of them is two teenagers who were killed in a dreadful accident. They were returning from a late night restaurant shift coming back from work. Alana Harkin and Thomas Gallagher, they were only 18 years old, coming home from work died when the car they were in left the road in County Donegal at a quarter to one in the morning. Front page of the Mirror today, teen pals killed on a lift home from work. And then to add to even more misery on our roads, a cyclist on an e-bike died following a collision with a truck in Dublin yesterday. And a lorry driver sadly died in a separate crash in County Monaghan. So um, as you can see, um, we are having a very bad time of it on our roads. Meanwhile, um, in the Gaza Strip, uh, the story um, that's gripped everybody's attention here is Emily Hand, because it had been thought that she'd been killed in the terrorist attack um, on Israel on the 7th of October, only to be told later, or at least the family to be told, that their intelligence is that they understand that she is being held hostage and that she's alive. So Emily, and she's Irish, Emily Han's dad uh, makes the front of the mail to saying, I beg you on bended knee, let Emily go. She's only eight years old, little girl, they believe held hostage, um, and she may be spending her birthday in what they call the hellish Hamas tunnels. I beg you on bended knee, let Emily go. Um, when you look at the bigger picture uh, and the um, conflict between Israel and indeed uh, Palestinians in the Gaza Strip, with much of the world just looking on and tut-tutting, um, people are dying. Um, and Gaza has been described now as a graveyard for children. You might find it upsetting hearing a headline like that, but when you break down the numbers, um, you know, the um, amount of people, the death toll in Gaza uh, has been reported now by the uh, the Hamas Health Ministry as being 10,000 have died uh, in, in the Gaza Strip, particularly in Gaza City and areas like that. And they're saying that 4,000 of the 10,000 are children. I mean... They, they, you need to pause and just take that number in, that 4,000 children have died uh, as the Israelis continue to rain rockets uh, down into Palestinian areas. So much so uh, that apparently like 40 or 50,000, according to the Irish Times this morning, 40 or 50,000 um, Gazan, Gazan residents are camping near hospitals or on the compounds of hospitals because they believe that an area like near a hospital would be safe from rocket attacks 
compared to say with the rest of Gaza. It's so tragic. It's thir- day 31 of the war yesterday um, and they're saying that 10,022 people have been killed since October 7th. 3,000 Palestinian fire- fighters um, infiltrated southern Israel. Bear in mind uh, 1,400 Israeli people died and over 240 hostages were taken. Amongst them of course a young Irish girl. Uh, but it's the figure of 4,000 children and the headline graveyard for children. What is going to be done uh, to make this just stop. The Ashling murder, Murphy murder trial, um, where the accused Yusuf Pushka um, was giving evidence over the past few days. That trial continues with closing arguments due to start today. Uh, and as part of the defence, some medical experts um, gave evidence yesterday saying that it is possible that Yusuf Pushka might have been suffering from delirium when he allegedly confessed to the actual stabbing of the school teacher and the stabbing to death of the school teacher. So the evidence will finish and we'll have closing arguments uh, today and then of course the jury will have to go and decide. Um, meanwhile, in, in other news, I know that um, you have to keep up with the Joneses. Many people unfortunately do and they get carried along and whatever you have, I have to have better. But it certainly is the case with children um, and you would have thought that it would have been secondary school that we've been talking about issues regarding smartphones which would set you back anywhere between 813, 1400 euro a pop depending on the model but it's actually a story regarding primary schools because it's going from bad to worse and the Minister now for Education Norma Foley wants um, to outlaw all, all smartphones or maybe all mobile phones but certainly the smartphones um, from schools and the only way this will happen is if it's led by parents and they want to extend the ban for younger children outside of school hours as well. So that's going to be approved by the Cabinet to pursue this, but it won't work without children, without parents being on board. Like, for instance, the examiner this morning says some of the potential exposures to primary school students with smartphones include cyberbullying, violent and sexual content on their phones, lots of online harm, suicidal ideation. Um, and apparently there is a good example of it where in County Wicklow, eight schools did come together with the help and the, um, you know, authorization of parents, I suppose, and they banned the purchase of smartphones for their children before they went into second level. So that was a start and it goes to show that it could happen. Um, so it interesting to get your thoughts on that with regards to children and how old they should be before they get a phone. And they're all smartphones now. The days of the old analogue are well and truly gone. Uh, any kind of a smartphone, any phone that's bought now has internet activity. But you got to wonder what kind of restrictions that parents are putting or how much they're monitoring their children's phone activity. Um, a story that we dealt with on the air about uh, two or three weeks ago was originally broken by the journal.ie and then I got to talk with one of the nurses at uh, CUH. And these are migrant nurses, you might recall it, um, alleging that they were facing racism uh, and awfully nasty comments about them. That's a story that makes this morning's uh, independent this morning, um, and they're carrying on with that one. We have something like 29 different nurses now have signed a petition with regards to shocking things that were said about them uh, when they were at work. Um, I will possibly go back to that again this morning, but you might remember in the audio that I spoke to the nurse, she said um, um, that the person who was training them before they could work on the wards said, uh, you only come to Ireland to steal benefits to get pregnant as soon as you can, have three or four babies and take everything from us. You smell, you don't wash your hands uh, when you go to the toilet and you spread COVID and kill Irish patients. Bizarre stuff. CUH are still and the HSE are still saying absolutely nothing about those claims in spite of 
us being in touch with them. Journal.ie were in touch with them for comment. And I would imagine that the independent.ie who pick up on the story um, were in touch with them as well. Now, one word apparently that GPs are being told not to use when it comes to patients, the word fat. You cannot tell a patient that you are fat. You have to come up with other words because you need to encourage them to lose weight and you'll only do that uh, by not using the word fat because it'll make them feel even worse than they do already. So in the old days, a good ticking off from your doctor, you know, where the doctor would tell you to cop on and read you the riot act, um, you know, as to, listen, if you don't do this or lose weight because you're fat, uh, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen, you're going to die early. Uh, But apparently now it must be very, very gradual, touchy-feely, and it's a story making the mail today. Of course, much of the weight loss now has... um, Uh, been sorted, particularly people with type 2 diabetes um, with regards to Ozempic and Wegovy. These are the pencil jabs that you can get on prescription. Am I hearing on uh, as well though, that a lot of people outside of having a condition like diabetes are also managing to get their hands uh, on this Ozempic and uh, Wegovy. And I know that in the papers last week there was these knockoffs coming into the country that were seized by Customs and the Gardaí because they're dodgy. You have no idea what goes into them. Literally, uh, it's a pencil. I think you keep them all in the fridge and you jab yourself a couple of times a week. Um, and it just it just curbs your hunger pangs. Apparently, you f- if you feel fill, full most of the time. And if you're full most of the time, you're not likely to graze or eat all of the wrong foods and put on even more weight. Indeed, the opposite happens. You lose weight with this new revolutionary approach. Much of it has to do with what we eat, though. Yes, it does. But a lot of it has to do with climate and sunshine, you know, and, you know, living in a nice country like Spain or Italy or Portugal. But actually, apparently, Spain has the highest life expectancy in Europe, particularly for women, according to the examiner's back page today. So living down south in Ireland, uh, we will share will share will shave about six months off your average life expectancy compared to people up in the east. So that's not bad. Um, if you're living up in the east, apparently living down here, you've got six months less to live. Let's drill into that and find out why. Why would that be? But apparently they're saying the place to be is Spain, where they have the best secret to longer life. And it has to do, of course, with one, um, the food that we eat. And second, of course, the sunshine and the beautiful weather. And they have a much more kind of laissez-faire, don't they? Oh. In Spain, you know? Oh, uh, just... Manana, we'll do it tomorrow. Manana, let's, and go, it's all... let's go for a sleep. It's yeah. three o'clock. I'll see you at five o'clock. The siestas. And, and I like the fact that they, I like, I like the staying up late. I think it's, you know, they stay up late, but then they nap in the afternoon. So they're kind of, I like it. I, you, I just love the way of life. Why would you think that we live six months less down in Cork? Oh, I was just thinking that, that that's why I try on the headset. I was thinking, um, people say that because we're in a U-shaped valley that a lot of no seriously because we're in a U-shaped valley a lot of the pollution and stuff that comes out of the city stays in the city so the air quality in Cork is actually worse in the city than it is in a place like Dublin where they're they leave kind me of hanging flat. in the examiner this morning they tell me we live six months less down here but they don't tell me how we can uh, fix that <laughs> live somewhere else I think is the suggestion is it maybe get out of the, uh, the U-sh- I, I, I'm genuinely I, I think it's the, the U-shaped valley keeps the old pollution in and then also we have all the, the Docklands we're stuff, polluted so. we're polluted <laughs> we're bleeding bursting with the pollution anyway other stories this morning include three and a half thousand dogs that were given over to charities in the last 12 months this is Dog Trust Ireland you know the main reasons why people are giving dogs to charities apparently the mail says and it quotes Dog Trust Ireland is saying most commonly reasons given it was is unwanted behavior by the dog 
you know, all dogs have some kind of unwanted behaviour that would wreck your head. We all have that. So unwanted behaviour, accommodation changes. Not quite sure what that is. The arrival of another baby, I suppose. And, and are the owner not having enough time to walk their dog? So they never think before they get the dog and do the sums on whether they got space for them or the money for them or the ability to walk them. And then I know we talk an awful lot about AI and I mentioned smartphones earlier on, but there's a story in the Sun today. Uh, again, it just goes to show how quickly AI, this is artificial intelligence to you and me. It's come a long, long way from ChatGBT because now AI um, can, here's what scammers are doing now. They can go onto people's websites or their TikTok or their Instagram and they can look at the AI, artificial intelligence scammers will use to listen to the voices, to listen to your voice or your children's voice on the posts that they put on social media. Artificial intelligence then can copy the voice, not unlike, say, for instance, what they could have done if John Lennon's voice hadn't been captured in that tape for the latest Beatles single. They would have just made his voice exactly like his voice. So then they're mimicking the voice of children and then they contact the parents or the family members of the children um, and pretend because the parents think it's the real child begging for them to transfer money into their bank accounts. Now you might think that no child, no father or no mother would fall for that but they do and all you need is one in ten to fall or one in a hundred to fall before big money can be made and vast quantities of money can be made in that regard. So that's artificial intelligence for you. Lots of talk with regards to Bruce Springsteen. Uh, there's a push on now in Leaside for a second gig on Leaside because the first Bruce gig sold out for May 16th in 90 minutes. Tickets are still available for the Dublin gigs, but if his gig in Cork sold out in 90 minutes, doesn't it give uh, Peter Aiken an opportunity at Aiken Promotions to put on a second gig or pick up the phone and have a chat with Brucey's people to see if they're up for a second gig? Uh, Springsteen cleared a cool 26 million euro yesterday um, with regards to the fans snapping up the tickets for his Irish concert next year. Uh, 40,000 of them were on Leaside. But many people were angry about not being able to get on, about glitches in the technology, about Ticketmaster uh, messing them around. And, of course, the ticket price itself, we are looking at at least €136 for a standing pitch ticket. Uh, And there's lots then regarding other forms of security. Can I just mention one other one, though? I'll come back to the security stories later. There's a lovely one making the sun today with regards to the nicknames that you call friends or relatives or your pals um, and they list them out in the sun today. How many of you are called any one of these by pals? Number one is Big Man. Number two is Ginge, which I suppose has to do with a redhead. Number three is Spud. Don't know. Maybe you got a head like a Spud. Number four is Shorty, which would be vertically sh- challenged. Another one like that is Wee Man. I don't think we'd use that here in the Republic, probably north of the border for sure and over in Scotland, Wee Man. Another one is Kiddo very much used on Lee side. How's it going, kiddo? Uh, another one, Sparky. Probably only you'd call that to an electrician. Chicken. Nobody calls people chicken, do they? It's a kind of a Coronation Street thing, but I don't know. And then Sunshine, Sunny or Rocky. It, it, it kind of pales off. Eight, nine and ten are non-believable. But Big Man's a winner, all right, isn't it? And certainly Shorty or Kiddo. I'm probably missing out um, with regards to Cork ones. Actually, get texting on that with regards to the words or terms of the Cork connection that you call your mates or buddies. Text 0868 Lots more. We'll come back to it in a few minutes' time. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. 
text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. Text 086-8104-106. Big shout out now for John Cronin and a bunch of lads who are working in construction in a house above in Lover's Walk and they're regular listeners to the programme. I hear that it's blasting out of a morning. So good morning to you, John, and all of the gang working away on Lover's Walk. Have a great day today. From one type of construction to another. Uh, and my apologies to Maura. I didn't get to talk to her yesterday. I ran clean out of time. But she joins me by phone now at this stage. Maura, apologies. I meant to talk to you yesterday, but I ran out of time. Hi. So thank you for holding on. Oh, you sound worn out. Well, I am. Um, I'm. First of all, I want to thank you for having me on. And um, I would never normally do this. I mean, open our lives up to public scrutiny, but I feel like I have. Okay. Let's, no can I just, no, and let's just chat away between ourselves here, right? Um, you, uh, going way back along, you were in a council house that you managed eventually to buy from the council and took out a 30-year mortgage, am I right? Yes, Okay. Sure. Uh, so everything was looking rosy, you were able to make the payments, your husband then sadly um, had to stop working because he was going through cancer treatment. Um, what, mm-hmm. when, what, what, what year are we talking about there? Um, I suppose... Oh seven, oh eight, oh nine. Okay. It was a very long recovery, and I had to give up work to look after him. But before, but before that, was there a period in your life where you were working five jobs a day to be able to pay the mortgage? Yes, I, I was. I was to, to actually get it in the first place. Yeah, I, I worked five concurrent jobs, and my husband was working full time. Five jobs at the same time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, do you mind me asking what those jobs might have been or what line of employment they were? Well, mainly uh, caring um, for the elderly and cleaning. Okay, so you would be caring for elderly people, you would be cleaning people's homes, you would be caring yeah. for different elderly people on a kind yeah. of a rotor daily basis. Yeah. Um, and all yeah. of that quite physical work, right? Yes, it was, okay. yes. Yeah. Your husband gets cancer and then you get sick. Um, yeah, I became very ill and um, with surgeries and infections. Uh, what was wrong? You were, you, were you having, was it epilepsy? Were you having seizures or something? No, that came later. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it was mainly stomach surgery and... Um, I kept getting infections. I couldn't keep any food down, not even water. Um, I wonder if so much of that had to do with the fact that you were working day and night to cover the mortgage, all of these different caring and cleaning jobs. I don't know, Neil. I really don't know. You were just literally worn out and the body was frazzled and said, I can take no more. Yeah. 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 Maybe. Maybe. So but, was there pressure then with regards to paying the mortgage? Yes, because oh. then we were both out of work. We engaged with the bank, but we couldn't pay anywhere near and they they just saw it as, you know, a bad date and um, it, it was then sold to a vulture company. Um, we then applied to the Awalia scheme, Home for Life, and uh, the house was bought out by them in so did, 2021. So did Home for Life buy it from the vulture scheme? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so we were just, you know, it was a sigh of relief. You it thought, relief oh my God, thank God, we don't, we're not out of our home. Yeah. We can stay. And do you do yeah. they work out? Do they work out um, a, a rent, an affordable rent, then for life? Well, 
what happens is you pay the rent to the county council and they're supposed to do the maintenance. And our house had got into very bad disrepair. Uh, it's an old house and we couldn't afford to fix it or do the things that needed being done to it. So an old co- um, It's like hundreds of years old. It's an old cottage, is it? Yeah, it is. It yeah. is, yeah. yeah. So, um, so much needed to be done to it, you know. Um, so then uh, in roughly, I suppose, May, June 22, they sent in builders and these builders turned out to be complete con men. In what way? They, um, well, everything they touched, they they took out the windows with sledgehammers and taking the masonry around them with them. They badly fitted them so the water was coming in and there were gaps in the windows and doors, huge gaps. Now, we were rats, mice, uh, cockroaches, everything infested. So when you, um, moved, when you moved back in after this work was done... You found no, if we, we were living, you were there living there. But before any of this work, you didn't have rats or mice or cockroaches or anything like that. We did because there was a lot of rotten uh, timber, and you know, around the windows, um, there was also a, what we didn't know—a a massive hole in in the sitting room floor where they were borrowing up through. Oh, hey. and but were you aware when you were living there that you had rats all over the house? Rats, mice. Could, yes, you, could you hear them? Because, like? Oh, absolutely. They, not just by night. They got so bold. They were in the middle of the day, and we had to keep all our food in plastic boxes, and you know, wash everything. Okay, so they weren't literally. They weren't behind the walls or under the floorboards. Were they walking around the house? Yes, in the presses. We couldn't use any of the kitchen presses. Did you ever oh, open yeah. a press and see a rat in there? Oh, oh yes, yes. Mice. Not so much a rat, but mice and the evidence of of rats and mice fecal matter. Would you come down and find food partially eaten by a rat or a mouse or something like absolutely, that? Absolutely, absolutely. So we kept all our food in plastic boxes. Um, Home for Life knew this was going on. I had begged them to send out someone to see the work that had been done because everything they touched would have to be redone. Um, And this went on for a long time. I don't think they believed me. And finally, someone did come out. Okay. It's okay. You had the the rats and the mice and the infestation of cockroaches. And the the smell of... Yeah, overpowering dampness. We were all sleeping in one room. When we say we, have you, did you have children as well as yourself and your husband? Yes, okay. grown up. Yeah, okay. Um, so um, all in we one were, room. All in one room. Mattress on the floor, the bed, uh, all our possessions inside in that room as well. It looked like we were massive hoarders. How many of but, you? Well, if I say that, it'll help identify us, Neil. All right, girl, don't don't do that. So all of you, all of you were literally sleeping in one room yeah, seven days we a week. We were yeah. with our our possessions as well in it, right? In that room because it was the only room that we could keep um, it uh, from you know from mice and rats and all the rest of it. We had traps all over the house and Mother all over the God. room. So you retreated to one room that you hoped yeah. would remain rat-free. 
Yes, yes, yes. So, and the smell of rotting timber was overpowering all over the house. What about, what about the a heating system? Was there, like, what kind of heating system? Yeah, oil heating, and we have a stove. Maybe that, yeah. I mean, no disrespect to the property, but it sounds to me as if it should have been condemned and just knocked down. Well, I suppose gutted inside anyway. Well, at least, at least. And was your husband going through chemo through all of this? Uh, No, um, what had been cancerous had been cut away. He did have chemo before that, but he had had several operations. So you got two sick parents, very sick parents, both recovering from serious illnesses, living, living in circumstances like this. Uh, yeah. where they got mould and they got rotting timbers and they got yeah, bad botch job in the house the, and rats and mice and yeah, cockroaches. It my husband's respiratory system. He spent several weeks in hospital from the black mould spores in his lungs. I had had several asthma attacks. The, the first builders they sent in didn't even have dust sheets. So, um, you know, there was no protection. We were living in the house and I had had several serious asthma attacks. Okay, so let's let's move on then to when a second set of construction workers were sent in to yeah, fix well, the work of they, the first one, was it? Yes, and to do the rest of what needed to be done, as we thought. Um, so they sent in a project management company and on the ground, then they sent in a project manager. You must have felt great about that, saying, finally now things are going to rock well, and roll. After, after everything that had happened, I, I suppose we were very um, mistrusting. And we thought, look, we'll go, fine, we'll go with this. Um, the project manager was very charming. He told us to trust him, that this job would be done once and it would be done right. What did he make we, of the original work done? He said it was just totally immoral. Okay. Believe. okay. All right. So he was yeah. he, he was agreeing with you with regards to the shocking work that was done yeah. in the original. Okay. Yeah. But, well, okay. Yeah. So how did it get to where we are now, where the second company who gone in to do the work have locked you out of the house? Well, everything. We had meetings with him um, every week, and he'd say this was going to be done. And then the following week, that would have changed and that wouldn't be mentioned at all then. No, that wouldn't be done or it wouldn't even be mentioned. So it was all about, we found out as well from uh, a builder he brought in um, that he was asking all the tradesmen, how could they cut corners? How could they make this fast and cheaper? And um, the electrics told him no way they would do that because someone might get it, you know, hurt or killed. Someone being us. Well, no electrician would abide by that because they have to no. CE certify the work and they're very honourable. Yeah. Any electrician with the CE certification yeah. will not engage yeah. in any of that kind of nonsense. But were you were you in the house for the second construction work? Uh, some, um, <laughs> no, actually some of it happened outside and then we moved out and the council gave us a property, a temporary property to move into and it's coming up to two months. We were told that we'd be out of the house uh, a month to five weeks. So it's coming up to two months now. And in the meantime, you know, we had keys to get into the yard, to feed the cats, to collect our post, to get our, you know, possessions because all our winter clothes and things we had put out into sheds in the yard. 
And so we were able to access that. And also um, the project manager was having the meetings with my husband inside the house. I couldn't go in. My husband wore a filtered dust mask, but I couldn't go in because that didn't even stop me having an asthma attack. Okay, so what I I heard was that um, things got heated recently when the builders changed all the locks in the house and changed the lock on the gate. They kept moving the date back. um, Yeah. That they locked you out of your own yard. You have no access to feed the cats, no, no access to the post box, no access to your no. possessions inside no. Uh, no. either the house or the garage. Um, da, 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 what else am I seeing here? Uh, your um, husband actually had... Did I see some operation involving a cholestomy? Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Okay, no, I just see it. That was identified. No, okay. what happened? Well, that's just—it's just, just an example of how, how ill your husband is, right? Okay. okay. Yes, okay. yes, that he has had very serious life-changing surgery. So but why why was why are you locked out though? I have no idea. I presume. Well, actually, I do. Um, I presume it's because we were taking photographs of all the damage. You've probably seen them now. That was done. And we knew it was going to be covered up. We knew that rotting timber would be covered up. The exterior would look great. But the actual, we'd be back in the same position again because it would rot its way out. The black mold would be back. Uh, the roofs were leaking and they patched them while the timbers underneath were rotten. And the builder that they brought in, I went around with him, the project, manager brought in. I went around with this builder and he was an extremely honest and fair guy and he'd been working in construction for about 30 years and he he asked me to come around with him and write everything down. So he told me that the rules were gone, that no amount of patching would do because underneath was completely rotten. And that wasn't going to happen. They had already patched the roofs. And, um, imagine that! Imagine that company that's doing the work has a has um, a budget that will be paid for, yes, and they can't yes. they can't go over that. In spite of that, they but, might see more things needing doing. They've only got so yeah. much money; uh, otherwise, they'd be doing it at a loss. They, they had paid the first lot, and everything had to be done again. Then the second lot, they had to pay the project man, management company. Then contracting all the workers to do the work. So, so much money was being spent before it got to us. And who's paying for all of that? Is it the County Council? It's Home for Life. Okay. And And um, who pays them? Well, it's a government-run scheme, so it's public money. Yeah. But there is no accountability, Neil. They don't care. So where are you living now? Where are you living now? We're living in a, a built-up area in North Cork. Yeah, no, but um, is it in a home? Is it in a council yeah, house? Yes, yes. The, the council gave us the council house temporarily. Yeah. Would, you, like to, would um, you not like to just stay there? No, because we've lived in our home all of most of our married lives. It's our home, and uh, we're not town people or... You know, we're country people. Is it a beautiful know. little cottage and a gorgeous little setting, is it, Maura? Yes, my my husband has maintained outside, which he loves to do. I mean, you know, there wouldn't be a blade of grass out of place. He loves you're, that. Okay, so you're very proud of it. Yeah, yeah. Yes. In spite of things that are out of your control. It, it has all those connotations of, you know, home, safety, 
old soft place to fall or, you know, our family home. Mm. So it means everything to us, you know. How are you getting around? Do you have mobility issues? I do, and I, I have obvious mobility issues. And do, you, do you move I around with, the, with an aid? Yes, I do. Is yes. it one of the rollators? Like? Yes, it is, yeah. And... Um, you yeah, they're you... aware of all of this and I, I couldn't meet with the property manager anymore because he became a total bully and every time that I'm, I and my husband met with him I would have seizures it would bring on seizures from the stress so I could no longer meet with him my husband took that over but even with him, he has had a couple of strokes and I was terrified he'd have another one. Because do, do you think that the strokes were brought on by, by stress and worry and uh, mental exertion and things like that? I do, I do. Oh no. And I was scared to death that he might get another one and end up losing him. And then he in return was scared to death that something would happen to me because of these seizures. So, See, I wonder, know, I, I wonder if they did all of the thing with the locks and everything and denying you access because you were too hands-on, that you were too involved, asking too many questions, taking yes, too many videos. Right, yes. And they just eventually they, just said, you know, we, they, yeah. we want to get they this work done, keep them out of the way. Yeah, and they weren't able to, um, they wouldn't have been able to cover up what they were doing if we were in and out there checking, taking pictures. You know? okay. We got in touch with uh, uh, Home for Life on your behalf. I won't give out the details of the actual uh, query that we made for fear of identifying yeah. the location of the family, but yeah. suffice to say, we, we did get in touch with them. Uh, Seamus was on to them, gave them a long list of, of issues and questions for them, and they came back and they said um, that they were speaking to you on Friday and they were speaking yeah. to you again on Monday, um, that you have access to feed the cats, they said that there's a lot of work being done on the property. It's a major refurbishment and we ha- aim to have the family back in as soon as possible and we're in regular contact with them regarding the work being done. And that's from Home for Life. Um, would you agree well, with all of that? No. Um, they didn't even tell us they were changing the locks in the house. They didn't tell us they were changing the locks or putting locks on the gates. They gave us no key. When my husband turned up there Friday evening to feed the animals, collect the post, he couldn't get in. Uh, he had to climb over the gate. He slipped off the gate, fell onto his hip, uh, bruised his stomach and his hip. He went to South Dock that oh, night. Would you not have called them and said, listen, let me in, I want to feed and pick up the post, no? We did, we did, but their office is up near Dublin. No, as in called the build. Oh, were there builders on site? You could have called them, no? No, no, no. We had no. And how? Who oh, found him on the? Who found him having fallen? Uh, one of the family members was with them, and he was able to get up himself anyway. You know, um, luckily nothing had been broken. The soldier gave him a referral letter. But he was just badly bruised and 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 the shock, I suppose, you know. What would you like? To, what would you like to see now happening? Well, the job being done right in the first place, so that this, so that the money they're putting into it now isn't wasted, and so that the job is done correctly, and that we can move back into our home and live the rest of our lives in peace. We, I have never 
stop paying the rent. We're not anti-social people. Uh, you know, we've lived in that area a long time. Our neighbours keep asking us, when are we coming back? Um, we, we, we don't cause any trouble or harm to anyone. All we're asking is that they do it once and do it right and, and that it doesn't have to be readdressed again. Yeah. And there is no accountability. You know, there, when when I rang them Friday evening and I asked the receptionist for the name of the person who I knew was a property manager in Home for Life, she said she'd never heard the name. Then she put me on to someone and I asked him if I could speak to that property manager and he said, yeah, he's here, he said, um, but what do you want to speak to him for? When I told them that we were locked out from the yard, from, from posts, from feeding the animals, from getting their food, uh, he said, would Monday do to get the key to um, I, I right. said, would you like not to eat or drink from Friday to Monday? Would that be okay with you? Yeah, but you are um, eating and drinking. I mean, you you have a roof no, over your head I in the mean, interim. The, the cats. Oh, the cats. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, well, um, we, well, we did get a, we did get a response from property management at Home for Life, and I'm thinking that this conversation really will do two things, right? It will make yeah. Home for Life and the County Council very much aware of what's going on with regards to your little cottage, your home, right? So they'll be yeah. they, they they would deny this if I put to them, but they will be looking at your case again, and probably even as we speak. People will be asking yeah. questions as to where we are, where where are we with regards to the work on that woman's house, second or the family's home. Secondly, I think that maybe this conversation as well should make them pay more attention to the quality and the detail of the work being done. Right. So, so, so you 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 you're slow. You said you're slow to reveal all of the different aspects of your life, but I think this morning um, it's important that you did because it will make a huge difference in the work now that's going to be carried out on your property. Because this is one that we'll keep a close eye on. Do you think you'll be back in there for Christmas? I hope so, but I don't know. Um, I think they rely, were relying on our shame to keep us silent. But I am actually terrified of the repercussions of this call in that I don't know what they'll do next to us. And I'm also more afraid that if I don't put it out there... No, they won't do anything to you, girl. Don't you worry about that. The only I thing am. that... The only, all right, no. Well, I can't stop you worrying by just saying that to you. I no, understand that. I know. Usually, I know. usually what happens, and I'd be surprised if it didn't happen in your case, is that it makes a huge difference to the work that's being done, to the attention and the detail that will go into the job, and also to when you'll get your home back. Uh, because well, it's, it's, your, your case is somewhat under a microscope now. So that's a good thing. They asked yesterday a representative from Home for Life to to take the key back. Um, so we now have no key to get in again. Um, when my husband went to the house and handed back the key, he met with two workers who stood at the, at the door. They asked him who he was. One of them went away and made a quick phone call. He didn't hear what was said. Um, he took the key and shut the door on him. Yeah. And so yeah. we are now without a key to get back. Why into would you the feel? Yard. Why do you think that people would think you'd feel shame? Because we're in this situation. I I feel very ashamed, and they've made us just feel worthless. But look at the, but you you shared the backstory to your life. Um, you know, both of you buying your house from the council, paying the mortgage for how long? 
I'm not sure. No, Neil, maybe 10 years, something like that. Working all these jobs when your husband got sick, not being able to keep up the repayments, having the property sold from under you by the banks to the vulture fund, then uh, Home for Life and the council buying it back, giving it to you back so you'd never have to move out of it. You're paying the rent and everything. Uh, there, yeah. you're a tenant now. Uh, you thinking Indeed. that you'd have a, a lovely, comfortable, live out your years in the cottage. So you've nothing to be. You've nothing to be ashamed of. If I just feel ashamed, and we feel ashamed of getting ourselves into the situation where we lost our home, you know, and 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 also the feeling of worthlessness and you know hopeless, just hopelessness. And, but the, the strain of the last few years has taken a huge toll on our health. So I can hear it in your voice. I can hear it. You're worn out. You're totally fatigued. You're probably stressed out. Of yeah. Well, I've had a lot of seizures over the weekend. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, this is, know, a, this, is, this is a good time now, Mara. This is a good time now, really. This was a good idea. Uh, talking about it, it really was because it'll be front and centre and people will be now, I guarantee you, looking at this job and making sure that the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted and everything is hunky-dory um, and we'll, we'll stay on it as well, don't you worry about that, we'll keep a, we'll keep a close eye on it um, to make Thank sure that this, mo- no that's alright I don't want you to feel ashamed about anything, you're a hard working Irish family, things didn't work out for you, uh, but you are entitled to respect and dignity and you're entitled to have this work done properly so you can get on with your lives. It's not as if you haven't enough to get on with illness between yourself and your no. husband. Um, no. So in, in a few months' time, you'll be looking at back at this with a sigh of relief. I hope so. Yeah. I really hope yeah. so. Okay. All right. Don't worry. Seamus will be in close contact with you and we'll keep an eye on this and we'll be back on to them regularly. And you come back to me as well if things start to improve or pick up or you start seeing um, a chink of light at the end of the tunnel, will you? I will. I will. Thanks. All right. Okay. Thank you so much. We'll talk again, Mara. All right. Thank you, All right. Okay. Thank you. Don't worry. Seamus is across this one. He won't let this go. Appreciate it. Appreciate you taking the call. Uh, text 0868104106, lads. Uh, pick up the phone on 0818104106. I think there's going to be a really happy ending to this. I really do. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that it probably wouldn't have happened if Mara hadn't been. Um, I suppose to some extent forced to go public um, but uh, there'll be updates on this for sure there will back after the break Talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 Cork's Red FM uh, Actually talking about f- mobile phones and children earlier on this morning uh, text already says mo- monitoring your child's phone and social media is very important I say this as I recently discovered a grown adult messaging my child on Snapchat asking for photographs My wife replied instead, thank God we monitor the account. Parents, lock on these apps would keep, would be a major help as they don't currently exist. Parent locks on these apps. You can never stop a child accessing social media in the modern age we live in. I know that, but I think it should be compulsory for social media companies to have a parent lock for all children under the age of 16. It's too easy to enter a false date of birth birth and drive on into the world of social media. Uh, I'm sure I'm not the first parent in this position and it won't be the last. And I I also saw an attachment then from, I won't give out details of the people involved, but they show a screen grab of an individual chatting back and forth with whom he thinks is a child 
but it actually is the mother of a child and the family are saying, thank God we actually monitor the account. That's an interesting one. And then with regards to the cost of living are literally trying to survive and uh, we keep a close eye on Maura's family story. I understand, I'm getting texts already from people saying it's a building site so therefore not everybody will be allowed access onto a building site. I, I understand all of that but that was never even said. It was, it was very much standoffish. Nobody said, listen, you can't come in here. My understanding anyway is that nobody says you can't come in here anymore for now because it is a building site. But somebody says, I just want to send you a message to highlight, in my opinion, the reality of a lot of families at the minute. Like, I'm a married woman of three young children, all under the age of seven. My husband has a great job. He brings in 800 a week after tax. I used to be self-employed, but I'm currently out of work due to a failed business. You will ask, how did the business fail? Well, because of the rising costs of material and also the untimely death of a family member, which has badly affected my mental health a lot. I'm still very busy with our three children, as you can imagine. We have no help from any source. My husband earns too much uh, for me to get any social welfare payment. I've been working myself since I was 16. Um, It's already Tuesday and we currently have no diesel left in the car. We are close to town, so it's okay to walk to and from school. But yesterday, the heating and the electricity went out. In order to get 20 euro worth of oil, 20 euro worth of oil, we had to put pay-as-you-go electricity on a minus until Friday. The fridge is half full, but I always make it work. I have swapped from a large trolley to the smaller trolleys in the supermarket every Friday for the big shop adding it up as I go around. We don't have medical cards or anything like that. Currently, my mental health um, is is gone and the tablets I have are gone since Sunday. It'll be Friday before I can collect the next month. The NCT is out on the car. We were quoted €600 to repair it to pass an NCT. The thought of trying to save that amount when we can't even put diesel in it is frightening. Listen, Neil, I'm not looking for sympathy. Myself and my husband keep our spirits up saying to each other how lucky we are to have a house or three healthy children and each other. But I just wanted to highlight a real-life story of what life is like in 2023 for families like us and perhaps more. Thank you for that. Uh, and it's only, you know what, it'll only get tougher on you when it's colder and there'll be more pressure on you with regards to the heating, whether it's the power or indeed the oil for the boiler. So uh, I don't know how you're going to handle that or indeed the NCT. Um, 800 a week after tax. Um, it, it's, um, it, it's a wonder that there's not some way that you could budget. I'm assuming you're budgeting as best you can, but maybe in most of that, an awful lot of that 800 a week after tax is possibly going straight into a mortgage, don't you think? Text 0868104106. We're back after 10. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. Uh, big response yesterday to uh, playing a Christmas tune on air. We featured um, Kirsty McCall and the Pogues and Fairy Tale of New York. <laughs> kind of a, a brave thing to do, I suppose, but it's done now. It's not as if we're going to be playing a Christmas song every day across November. That's it now, until the 6th of December. Or maybe a little bit earlier. But anyway, never mind early Christmas decorations. We only carved our punk- pumpkin last night. Some might say we were too late. Some might say we were too early. Either way, happy Halloween to y'all. I have to tell you, to answer your question, you're too late. Uh, at Christmas, are the City Council going to cancel the switching on of the lights again this year? And if they don't ban it, uh, then why was it cancelled last year? I don't know what the dealio is going to be with regards to the switch on of the lights. We certainly won't be seeing anything like that until the back end of November, but I'm assuming um, that they will have a um, reversal 
of conscience and switch them on. Um, you talk about Christmas, it's a total rat race. The spirit of Christmas is well and truly gone, replaced with commercialism. Neil, can you please ask your listeners to stop commenting negatively to retail staff about Christmas bits and pieces being on the shelves? I'm working in retail and they're coming in for weeks. Everyone thinks they're the first to complain, but they're not. We're hearing it all of the time. Apparently, customers commenting negatively to retail staff uh, that the the shops shouldn't be full of Christmas stuff on the shelves. Christmas is just like Dyson. It sucks. Like that, uh, our tree will go up. We're asking the question: When will your tree go up? Our tree will, tree will go up around the first of week of December, and then we disappear to the Canaries for Christmas. We go away with the kids as we do every year, away from the hustle of it all. Says Mike. I don't know whether I'm envious of you. I probably am envious on the one hand. That you're off to the Canaries for sunshine and blue skies and swimming in the sea and lovely Mediterranean food. But on the other side, though. I'm kind of not envious of you because you're missing out on a real traditional Christmas. I often hear people who emigrate or go to live in Australia. They love most of the year, but Christmas Day just doesn't sit right with them. Uh, Spare a thought for those of us who just can't afford Christmas, who are depressed, who are alienated from their families, or those whose Christmas is a time to dread due to family discord. It's far too soon to be playing festive music and people are booking to get their nails done already for Christmas. It's madness, says Mary. I would think... Anybody getting their nails done now for Christmas will certainly be getting them done again sometime in December. There's a discussion on your radio programme about all the events surrounding Christmas, but the main thing happening is never mentioned by you. The birth of Jesus Christ, says Adrian. And just another few. I love Christmas and I go all out. I love to see the lights, I love the music and I love the pantos. When I was six, my mother died in November and my grandmother lived with us and we would not allow my dad to put up a tree to have Santa uh, or to have any Christmas at all. The grandmother stopped all of that? Stopped your dad putting up a tree, Santa, on Christmas? Why? Anyway, so from being denied all of that, I go all out, even though my dad died just before Christmas. I still celebrate as he would have wanted me to because he certainly didn't want what happened to us. Rose, Rose, that is so sad. Is there any chance that you could give us a little bit more detail as to why your granny did that? Your mom died, granny moved in, cancelled Christmas. Wow. Text 0868104106 if you wish to share some more on that one. That is awfully cruel. Christmas decorations are up for Black Friday and taken down on New Year's Day. That's what myself and the wife do every year, and we stick to it. And one more. I think we should all have an eco-Christmas and ask all mothers not to buy plastic toys this year. Lose your carbon footprint this year, guys, once and for all. Wouldn't it be a very difficult thing now? Uh, to get toys and all sorts of things for the kids this year that didn't have some amount of rubber or plastic or some stuff like that in them. But anyway, pass it on for what it's worth. Text 0868104106. Lots more texts actually on yesterday and the last few days, which I'll come back to. But I'm keen to get to the phone lines because it's a busy morning this morning. And Donal needs some help. Very seriously, though, he needs some help with regards to his partner's father. Donal, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you doing? How are you, man? I have a photograph here of the man himself, John Joe Cahill, sitting in an armchair. D-A-H-I-L. D-A-H-I-L. Sorry, it says Cahill here, so it's John Joe Dahl. What's going on, Donald? Tell us the story. Um, yesterday, myself and my partner, we were going looking at a lorry in Limerick, and I parked my Jeep in, in their yard, and when we... We're coming back yesterday evening. Her mother rang 
to say that her father, she couldn't find him. So the man who was with her said, geez, go out and check the jeeps and see if they're there. So he, it actually turns out he picked up my keys inside in the house, um, went out, checked all the cars, um, found my jeep, opened it, sat in and took off. Now, the ma- this man has dementia. Um, he hasn't driven in about three years. If, if anybody sees him, he's he's going to be driving very slowly. He could be in and out of the ditch, and he'd be straddling the middle of the white line. Um, he dro- my Jeep is a black Ford Ranger Jeep. Can I give out the edge? Oh, please do. I think you should. Uh, it's 152 LH2335. It's a farming Jeep. It's, it's quite dirty. Um, it's very distinctive. It's, re- it's a really big Jeep. It's a crew cab Jeep. And it's going to be, if anybody sees it, it's either going, if it's parked, it's not going to be parked straight. It's going to be abandoned somewhere if it's parked and he could be sitting in it. Or else if you come across it driving, he's going to be driving really slow and all over the place. But Donald, he, he, it's estimated that he, he, he took and sat in and drove off in at four o'clock yesterday, is it? Yes, four o'clock yesterday, but we didn't realise that anything because my... I, no, I know, you only found out when you got back last night. No, but I'm not, oh no, I'm just making the point that he's been away overnight and you must be beside yes, yourselves with worry. We are, we've been out all night. We, I have searched every road from Watergrass Hill to Dungarvan. I've been on back roads that didn't know existed. Um, you see, the big problem is he's also diabetic. He's a type 1 diabetic and he has no medication with him. No. Um, he has no money. Now, my Jeep has a full tank of diesel. I was I just going to ask you, was there, would, it, would there be much in it? Yeah, it's full. Uh, I, I filled it up yesterday morning. For to, to, I, You couldn't make it up. And so it's a full tank of diesel. There's going to be about a 300, maybe 350 mile range. And I but couldn't say exactly. Obviously, you're down around the Connor, Rathcormac, Lismore. Yes. Yeah, well, but if you, you have been on to the guard. In go on. You're in Tallow. We're, okay. we're in Tallow. Yeah. 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 Um, we, we, the, all the guards are out searching and everything. I'm just making an appeal that maybe somebody has seen something. The, the last bit of information we have, that solid concrete information, was at 7 o'clock last night. Um, you see, the, the other problem is, is what we're afraid of, is his legs don't work great. He doesn't have his walker with him. And if he had to get out of the Jeep to use the toilet, he might have fallen and he might be oh, thrown on the ground. Stop, that's now, shocking. That's, that's, shocking. That's, that's the worst case scenario, but it's not out of the realms of possibility. Oh God, I hope that hasn't and happened. I hope that, our, that you know, we're, we're, has he, he, would he have any ID on him in the sense of a wallet with a no, card? Or? No, he, no, he's nothing. He's no, the only money might be the couple of euro that's in the middle of my jeep. But if somebody's taken him into their care and their home, I imagine they would have contacted the guards by now. But, but, but would he be able to you tell would them? Who, would they tell it? Would he be able to tell people who he is and where he's from? Um, I, yeah, you, I would say yes, but. And the other side, I couldn't say definitely because the dementia affects them different ways and different days, if you know what I mean. So some days he might go back 40 years and other days he'll be right with you. 
Realising that he was in from my hospital and I'm here now from my hospital, but I've got no sight of, of the sheep here. Go into the hospital. We, we're trying all places he might have gone, yeah. the likes of Marks and all places he'd have gone back exactly. down through the years. We're trying yeah. all them as well. Right. Okay. So, so you, so you go back to you go back. What you're searching is things that would have been important in his life over the years. Yes. Right. Well, that's what we're trying at the moment. Anyway, yeah. no, we have been through them all, but we're going through them all again because you'd never know if he's still on the road. He might. I don't know. We're, we're only clutching at straws at this stage, okay. hoping for the best. Yeah. And there's no there's no chance that he will just come home. Is there that he'd he'd just say, okay, I'm okay. finished the journey and gone home. <laughs> He could, he could, but he also could be very confused. Totally. And we, we don't know. All right. Okay. Okay. He, he might okay. be able to find his way home. Okay. But we don't know. Have you a photograph of the Jeep? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. Okay, I'm just because we need this needs to go up on social as well, you know. And we have a big social following. If we could get a photograph of a black Ford Ranger Jeep, or indeed um, a photograph of of your uh, of your father-in-law, Donald, you know. Yeah, well, there, um, on the Glenmoyer notice board, there is a photo of him. If if anybody can look at it on Facebook, okay, we'll share that. We'll, we'll we'll share that. We'll get it from the Glenmoyer notice board and share that. Okay, lads. Um, let let's see if we can get people to be very aware and see if they might spot him to get in touch with the Gardaí straight away or whom. Anyone, the Gardaí, they can contact me, they can contact Brendan, they can contact anyone if we can get a general area because he won't be moving very fast. We might be able to home in them quick, if yeah. you know, because everybody, there's a lot of people out in a lot of different directions. So if we get some sighting of something, we'll be able to we'll be able to be on them quickly because there's people spread all over within a 30 or 40 mile radius. And it's a 30 or 40 mile radius of Connor, is it? Yeah, yeah tallow, you could say. And um, if, if he's if he's parked up somewhere, is it okay to approach him? And um, yes, it would be, but it would also be as well if you do see to contact one of us or contact the Gary, because he's he's not he, there's nothing wrong. He's not an aggressive man, but just you know, dementia, stranger, you just to be. I don't know. I could be totally. I know. Yeah, he might get a fright. I know what you're saying. Yeah, keep a close eye on him and call. Yeah, keep a close eye on him and call know. the guards. I hope to God he's all right, lads. I really do. Do stay in touch if you've any update. All right. Will do. I will. But if, if anybody wants to contact me, if they see him or contact the guards, just feel free to give them my number if they contact you or anything. All right. Can I give out your mobile on the air, Donald? You can. You can work away. No problem. All right, my man. Stay in touch, so Donald, and you too as well, Brendan. All right. You can take my phone number as well if you want. I have two numbers here. Okay, I appreciate that. Okay, take care. Take care. Take care. All the best. Take care. Family must be beside themselves with worry. Obviously, hopefully, those will all come to a happy conclusion. Donald's number is 089-253-4007. That's 089-253-4007. Or any Garda station, if you spot... Uh, John Joe Dahl. It's a black Ford Ranger Jeep. It's dirty because it's a working Jeep. The registration is 152LH2335. Hold on there, Jim. I'll come back after the break. 
Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. It'd be a wonderful thing to get John Joe Dahel back safely to his family. Uh, around about four o'clock yesterday afternoon, he took the keys of the black Ford Ranger Jeep. Registration plate 152LH2335. He has dementia and he hasn't been uh, home since. There's been one or two sightings, but... Uh, There was a long, cold night there, um, so hopefully he is safe and well and somebody will spot him. It's a black Ford Ranger Jeep registration, 152LH2335. Back to the phone lines we go. Jim, good morning. Good morning. Um, You've seen this happen before. Uh, Talk to me. Well, not not the circumstances, no. I I think I've seen people with, with dementia who... And the common denominator is they all seem to be most comfortable when they go back to their past um, and something that they can, that's tangible for them because the present is, is very difficult for them and, and even they don't even recognise their own family members. So um, I suppose, look, a lot of it has been covered. It just hit me. I presume the man didn't have a phone on no. him or there's no SIM no, card nothing. in the vehicle. But, no. but, but like maybe what they could do is just if... You know, any family members that he has, um, even relations, uh, siblings or whatever that poor man might have, they might come up with locations that even his immediate family mightn't even think of, you know. But I have seen it happen. I've seen situations where somebody leaves their home without the family even realising it and they pack money in a case and they end up miles away having walked back to their childhood place, you know. So it is it is a common denominator. And, um, you know, maybe there's places that they, that, that they have they haven't taken account of but um, any family members that he might have may be able to throw some light yeah I think that they, 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 yeah, they, they are checking on places but you're right it would be a good thing as well for all the families to maybe think rack their brains as to where you know yeah. might be important things to him at different stages of his life going yeah. way back that, yeah, yeah like his, his son or daughter might think of 20 places that they could associate with him but there could be a sibling who might say look have you looked at these five places or that they haven't that they didn't take whether it is a place of work whether it is a, a friend whether it was you know you just never know whatever, whatever association the place has because um that's very often what they do they just they just go back um unfortunately you know it's very difficult for the family because um they're obviously in, a, in, in, a, in an awful state but I suppose mm. that's all they can do is just try and eliminate places as best they can you know? yeah it, it may look as it may look as confusion to us on the outside watching but to somebody no, who's yeah, doing yeah. it of course it makes perfect sense because well it, 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 the strange thing is I've, I've seen a programme where somebody this man was in a nursing home in America and he was completely non-verbal and somebody brought in just remembered a bit of music that he used to listen to when he was very young and they brought it in and he started humming and singing along to it. Amazing. You know, yeah. Like, amazing. It, it, amazing, yeah. So like, and I've seen, I remember seeing Glenn Campbell um, in Killarney on his last tour and the man was, again, had been diagnosed with, in this situation he'd been diagnosed with uh, Alzheimer's but like, the, the, the one good thing was that his family were in the band behind him and they needed him because every so often he would get confused or get agitated but they were able to kind of bring him back yeah. and uh, you know like so music to him was the one thing that kept him going but like for this man maybe you know just, just maybe contact whatever family members they haven't spoken to if somebody even they haven't been in contact for a while and say look in your in your memory is there any place that you would associate with my father-in-law my dad or whatever that, that I wouldn't have taken to good him. words of advice thank you for that Jim appreciate it text 0868104106 uh, I gave out the numbers there but um, you can also get in touch with us while we're on the air if you do spot uh, John Joe Dahl, you can always text me and we pass on the details straight away. Text 0868 
104-106. Thank you. I'm getting texts from people, regular listeners to the programme. Jim is a regular contributor down in Yall. He says he's going to head around the area between there and Tallow and check as many back roads as he can uh, for Doc, for John, uh, Joe Dahl and hopefully he'll be reunited with the family and he'll be safe and well. Um, and that he, you know, be nice to think that he's still in the Jeep uh, and didn't get out and, and wander. But Let's not go there. Let's hope for the best. Uh, and I'll keep you updated. Again, just without wanting to repeat over and over again, this is a black um, Ford Ranger Jeep. It'll be dirty because it's a working Jeep. It's a farming Jeep. And the registration plate is 152LH2335. John Joe Dahl got into it and drove off yesterday afternoon around about four o'clock and they want to get him home safe and well. So do get in touch if you have any details or any spotting of him. Text 0868104106. We are talking yesterday about the pressures that retail staff are under leading up to Christmas with, I suppose, rude customers and what have you. Yes, I do agree, was a girl on who worked in Debenhams for 10 years. Somebody says, I do agree. I feel so sorry for retail staff. They really get it, but they're always so kind. They never give it back. Yeah, but I'd say under their breath or in their own mind, they'd love to. I give the staff on the till in Super Value in Skibbereen a box of heroes to thank them for all their year's work. They always get the box of chocolate heroes for me at Christmas time. Uh, I'm glad I never met that girl at the till in Debenhams. She sounds like a pain and was definitely in the wrong job. I worked in retail all my life and Christmas was my most favourite time of the year. Well, good for you. I worked in retail security for nine years and nine Christmas periods. I found people to be a bit on edge, all right, but in general, I found them to be in good form. In fairness, the music in the main stores and shops is gen- in general is just horrendous at Christmas time. They don't play charted music. It's like these horrible one-off made-for supermarket CDs. That's brilliantly put. <laughs> made for supermarket CDs next time you're out shopping in any of the supermarkets have a listen to the music that's played it's absolutely desperate well I suppose the reason they're not playing the chart hits or the well known artists is that they'd have to pay copyright in Imro it would cost them if they played generic stuff you know that it doesn't really belong to anybody a bit like the stuff you hear when you're on hold with your favourite uh, consumer producer or indeed uh, supplier could be an energy company or it could be your mobile phone company have a listen to the stuff they play that's torturous I think that's intentional actually to get you to hang up and go away the music they put on hold regarding Christmas I believe it's nothing more than about money the earlier shops begin Christmas the more they will sell it's that simple morning just one final one I've worked 12 Christmases in pennies I love Christmas a lot of people though are very rude I understand that people are under pressure to get stuff done but surely that's their own fault. Why wait until the last minute and then expect to get what you want, especially when all the stock has been in the shop since early September for Christmas? Why then take it out on the staff? We don't have Christmas songs or decorations up, which is such a pity. Well, here we are and pennies are still holding out. No decorations yet and no Christmas music. Um, thank you for all of those. Keep them coming. The real meaning of Christmas, a teenager, an unmarried mother, blah, blah, blah. But the church treated other young and married girls horribly. A married woman had to get blessed from a priest before she could walk up the centre aisle of a church after having a baby. That's right, I believe they used to call that churching, which was a barbaric practice, but it certainly did happen. Uh, the real meaning of Christmas is a teenager, um, unmarried mother, but look how the church treat unmarried mothers. 
Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Do you recall uh, last week I was talking with Jackie about her sister who clearly is suffering with mental health issues and she lives on the streets and she doesn't eat and she doesn't care for herself and she's wearing very little clothing. And the nights are cold and it's been this way for way too long, a number of years now. Now, the family have tried and tried and tried their best to get her the help that she needs. And it's not as if they're just idly standing by. They have tried every single thing. And that was, our, you know, the, that's kind of the, the backstory. Um, I wanted to update on this. But before I do, for those of you that maybe didn't hear that conversation uh, with Jackie uh, the back end of last week, and I had promised to update on it. Here's a very quick recap. Like I'm going to bed at night and I think where's my sister now tonight? I'm sleeping in my warm bed like where is she? The HSC the other day explained the whole situation. I got into a doctor in St. Michael's Hospital about two months ago. I was on the phone with that man I said 40 minutes. He gave me 40 minutes on the phone. He listened to everything I told him. And he said, because she's an adult and because she's not going to harm herself or harm anybody else, he said, we cannot do anything. He said, your doctor can get her signed in for 72 hours, he said. But if she goes in and he said, if she's so coherent and she speaks so well, as you're telling me, he said, they'll leave her walk back out. But wouldn't that be the greatest tragedy of all time, though, if it ultimately led to her death? But this is, this is what we're worried sick about, like, you know? The family were like I'm going to bed at night and I think where's my sister now tonight? I'm sleeping in my warm bed. Like where is she? Now th- that conversation was on Thursday, the 26th of October, which would be last Thursday week, um, and uh, we were working on that story on behalf of uh, Jackie and the family and her sister um, to see if we could get some help. We were talking with lots of different departments and an awful lot of different arms of the state and indeed uh, psychiatric services and what have you. Psychiatric Association of Ireland, people like that. But it, it transpired then over the weekend um, that, uh, as in last Tuesday, Jackie's sister moved in with her for the weekend. And remember, she was on the air with me on our second call and she was saying that she was upstairs asleep, but she didn't know how long she'd sleep and when she woke up, what she would do. Um, and I hadn't an opportunity to touch base with her after that uh, until yesterday. Now, Jackie isn't in a position to come on air, but she did update me by email. She says, I spoke to you on Thursday, the 26th of October. My sister was sectioned last Tuesday. So this Tuesday gone, she was sectioned. She said, just to remind you, my sister is on a journey for four years. For what? We don't know. She hasn't washed or changed her clothes in that time and she rarely eats. This all happened following a number of traumas she had experienced. Uh, Despite having a very loving and supportive family, she continues to live on the streets, a very vulnerable woman. So this is going for four years now. Anyway, um, she stayed with her, her sister over the weekend, right? Not this weekend, gone, the one before it. And then on Tuesday, uh, the GP arrived to section my sister, who came home briefly as she was afraid of being around town at Halloween. The GP arrived, but my sister got very violent. She was like a caged animal. We locked her into the kitchen for her own safety and our safety as well. The Garda Armed Response Unit then arrived as she was deemed a danger to herself and others. They spent three hours in the house waiting for an ambulance to come from NACE to transport my sister to a mental health unit. The ambulance never arrived. The Gardaí, in fairness to them, eventually brought my sister to St. Michael's. But after she arrived, the doctor on duty recognised that she was in need of their help 
but Kitten couldn't keep her because the paperwork provided was only a copy. We, were be- we are being advised that there is only one ambulance base in NACE that can bring a section person to hospital. You're expected to wait four or five hours with the person, the mental health episode remaining with you until they arrive. Okay, so anyway, once my sister was eventually taken in, we were expecting her to be 21 days there so she could get the help that she needed. Um, and if needed, that it would be extended to three months to give her the best possible opportunity to become well and to recover. So that was on the Tuesday. But on Wednesday, the hospital let her go because she answered all their questions correctly. She's now back out on the streets of Cork and we as a family have to now switch off at the moment. We just can't come to terms with everything that has panned out. My sister needs intervention, but she's not getting intervention because she doesn't accept that what she is doing is harmful to herself. My dad isn't in good health with his heart and the last week has taken a huge toll on him. We fear for him as well now. My sister will unfortunately have to find her own way now until she openly accepts help. Thank you for your help and understanding. Hopefully we need to push for change in the mental health laws in this country. And that's from Jackie, who's saying at this stage now that the family can do no more um, until their sister comes to terms with the fact that she needs help. She answered all the right questions with regards to the psychiatric team at St. Michael's and they couldn't hold her because of that. Um, so they feel now at this stage that maybe perhaps the family can do no more. Uh, my, my, my worry here is that her sister keeps on saying, I have to finish my journey, I have to finish my journey. But I'd be worried that finishing her journey might actually cost her her life. Now, I know that Dr. John Sheehan can't talk about this case because it's not personal to him and he's not um, clinically involved in the care uh, of Jackie's sister. But I'm just curious with regards to the general protocols involved in helping someone who's unwell, who doesn't know they're unwell and doesn't want the help. Uh, Dr. John, good morning. Morning, Neil. So that's that's a very sad case, really, that's been unfolding for a number of years, and and it has a chance of ending tragically. I hope it doesn't. But if you answer all of the right questions when you go into a psychiatric unit, um, what would those questions be? Um, in general, Neil, the, the, the bar is set very high in terms of um, admitting someone against their will. Um, I thought part of that is because of Ireland's history in the past, where lots of people were were, were, were locked up for for all sorts of reasons. So, so the, the, the key factor there really is that someone, if someone is going in or being admitted against their will. Um, to a mental health unit, there has to be an immediate risk of serious harm to themselves. So it can't be just something of just in general going over months and years. It has to be an immediate acute risk to themselves. And they have to be seen by a consultant psychiatrist within 24 hours of them going into a mental health unit. And the consultant has to be, the virus set very high by the Mental Health Act, the consultant has to be satisfied that there's an immediate risk. And that can be really frustrating for families. Yeah. And Every GP and every, uh, I'm sure a lot of families have come across this. And, and where we often come across it, Neil, is with drug and alcohol abuse, where someone is drinking themselves to, to death, unfortunately, or taking a, you know, huge amounts of drugs. And the concern is that they're going, if they continue on this path, they're going to die. And the family wants to help. They're really frustrated. They want to do everything they can to help their loved one but they can't be admitted. The, the, the act is very clear. They cannot be admitted for drug and alcohol abuse um, under the Mental Health Act. And so if someone refuses treatment and doesn't want to be uh, admitted, 
um, then they, they, they can't be. And that, that's really frustrating. They can go. Yeah, yeah. The HSE statement that was sent to me on this said the procedure involves a person who has concerns about an individual's mental health making an application to a doctor uh, to examine that person if and only if the doctor thinks it's appropriate, the individual can be taken to an acute medical, medical, sorry, mental health unit where they are assessed by a consultant psychiatrist, just like you said. If the consultant psychiatrist thinks it's appropriate, they can be detained in the acute unit, although that detention is subject to review by an independent expert within 21 days. So it didn't make that at all. She was gone out the next day because they didn't deem her to being a risk to herself or others and couldn't detain her against her wishes. That's that's exactly it. And unfortunately, that's the way the law is. And there are, like the Mental Health Act is out about 20 years now, and I know there's a review under uh, undergo. And there are things, I think, that should be changed. For instance, one of the things that we come across is the family very often have to make the application. And that can be very traumatic um, because sometimes if someone is very unwell, and a family member applies to get them admitted to hospital and they get they admit it against their will. They sometimes can hold it against that family member and it puts a big burden on a family member, a parent or a sibling or something to have to do that. So what what is being used a little bit more now is what's called an authorised officer, which is someone independent from the HSE who comes out to the person and makes an assessment. And what that does is it takes an awful lot of the, the guilt and the burden of a family member, very often a parent, having to sign their child into hospital, you know, which is which is very traumatic and can sometimes lead to problems afterwards then as well. And and the other problem, Neil, I think is which I think there's a real need for, you know, and and I think was highlighted there when you're talking you know, in terms of um, Jackie's you know, sister and stuff, is that um it's an all or nothing. The bar is really, really high in order to admit someone against their will, but there's no in between. There's no supervision orders. It's very no, interesting that no you something. say that because we did speak with a number of psychiatrists. None of them will come on air because they can't talk about a case that they're not involved in. I understand that. But I can tell you that a number of them said that the, the, the legislation as it is now is too strict, it's too stringent, but that they as an organisation are working with the government to get the bar reduced in some way, where you could have a case where somebody who's living on the streets clearly has has got cognitive issues um, and is at a risk of harm to themselves. Of course they are. They're living on the streets for four years and not eating um, and, you know, wearing the same clothes and is also at a risk of being attacked, raped or killed. Um, But none of that counts for anything with regards to an involuntary admission. It doesn't, no, unfortunately. And that's, you know, if you see a family member, you know, taking drugs or drinking themselves and you know where this is going and you want to help them and they refuse help, it's incredibly frustrating and sad um, and for families. So I really think we need something in between where there might be a supervision order or where, where they agree to some element of contact so that you could gradually build up trust the relationship and maybe get them to agree to you know um, agree to treatment we're conscious of our history in the past where people were locked up for all sorts of reasons I know I understand all of that but if somebody is so unwell they're going to be so unwell that they don't know they're unwell yeah, and that, that's a that's a that's a big big problem, and um, it's a big concern. And and families generally, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of them, they just want the best for their for, for for their family member. They want their best for their loved one. They want them to see to be you know sleeping somewhere safe. They want them to be not in harm, in danger, to be minded. Yeah, um, and. You know that frustration is, is, is incredibly hard for for families. So I really think 
we need something that's in between that will allow some element of supervision and of you know engagement and and that might help then build up that element of trust and and get people involved because at the moment it's an all or nothing situation the bar is very high we do it in our practice i'd say about once a year um, and the paperwork is a nightmare I have to, because it's a very legalistic uh, because it has to be. Yeah. Um, so, you know, down to the dots and the I's and the 24 o'clock and everything like that. And, uh, and then the issue of getting it accepted and things like that. These are safeguards and they're good, they're safeguards. And it's good that the Mental Health Tribunal gets reviewed after 21 days by an independent sort of tri- tribunal of a barrister, uh, a second psychiatrist and a layperson. That's all very good. But we need something in between and we need something that supports people who are generally very vulnerable and in a very vulnerable position. And is all of this coming from Ireland's history with asylums uh, and um, mental health institutions that were very, very It, it really is. I mean, the old legislation, people could be locked up for months and years and decades even. And I remember when I was a, a med student, Neil, in the old Our Lady, there were people in there since the 50s um, who, who might have been a bit odd, as, the, as what have been described. And then they're locked in for, for, for years and they almost they become institutionalised. So it came from our history of that. Um, so, you know, it's important that those, you know, that people have free will and they can access, you know, if I, if I want to do something and that they're, you know, they, they can do it. But also we need safeguards and supports in that when people, I suppose, need support but don't often realise they need support and might need help, that it's not an all or nothing situation, that there should be something in between that, um, you know, would help get people into the system. It's just very sad. I had been hoping that she'd get a 21-day stay, she'd meet with professionals, that she may well be medicated in some way, shape or form if necessary, and that she could get a bit of balance into her head and, you know, maybe... Uh, calm things down and, you know, you get back on track. But what's actually happened is the opposite now. The family have said um, that um, that she will have to work it out herself. She's not getting um, any intervention because she doesn't accept what's going on in her life. But they as a family now have to switch off and come to terms with everything that has panned out and leave it up to their unwell sister to sort it. That's very sad. Yeah, and it's really, really sad. And, and in general... Sometimes what happens is people are waiting for a crisis to happen and they say, oh, some crisis will happen, then they'll have to admit it and then they get the help they need. But we shouldn't have a situation where it's dependent on things like that. Um, You know, we, we, we need something that allows help to be given without, you know, going around and locking everybody up, that people have rights and things like that. But that, uh, that there is not a no, it's not an all or nothing situation, and you know this happens in, in drug and alcohol abuse an awful lot, where people are so far gone that they they're just incapable of accepting help sometimes, and you know you very often can get around them and cajole them, and family members can work with them. But we need more of that because the legislation, I think now, is too um, it's too bureaucratic. It's too it's not I wouldn't say it's too strict. Yeah. Well, it's missing out on those very vulnerable people who need help. I know, but what if there's a tragic end to all of this then? Will any lesson be learned from it? You know, well, I think I think we need reform of the legislation and I know they are looking at that at the moment because I think we went one way and now we've gone the That's other it. way in the last 20 years. Um, we have very good, our community psychiatry service has got a lot better and that's really, really good. But I think we need an awful lot more and we need to start to, particularly if you look at, you know, people who are homeless and people who are living on the street and things, the percentage of them who have mental health issues are, you know, it's huge. 
um, and they're a really vulnerable group and we, we need to put better services in place for them. It's very, very sad. Thank you, John. I do appreciate you taking the call, Dr. John Sheehan, Fianna Fáil councillor and uh, local GP in the Blackpool area. It's very sad because uh, you don't know what will happen next. Um, you know, it's like it, it, it always strikes me as almost kind of like bizarre that, you know, the system is in place to help people. But how can you help people if they don't know that there's something wrong with them, right? Um, and on that basis, then there's nothing you can do for them. If, if they knew there was something wrong with them, wouldn't it be a totally different scenario? I mean, somebody with a psychiatric issue or, you know, cognitive impairment or whatever the case may be, isn't going to actually know that they're in need of help. I'm sorry, I wish I had better news uh, in regards to updating on Jackie's sister's story, but I don't. Not for now, anyway. Now. Show. Red FM. A lot of comparisons then, I have to say, between Bruce Springsteen tickets on Lee side in Ireland and Bruce Dean, Springsteen tickets across Europe at various venues. Got a lot of those yesterday, and I will go through them. Tickets for the Wembley London gig are £85. That comes in just shy of €100. Euro. You'll pay substantially more than that uh, for a standing ticket in Parky Cueve. We're not sure whether, whether to see Bruce here in Ireland or to go abroad. We bought two tickets for the Kilkenny gig. We can't make the Cork one. And two tickets for the show in Madrid. We will sell on whichever one we decide not to go to. Here is what we paid. Two standing tickets in Kilkenny. €287.60, including booking fees. Two standing tickets in Madrid, including booking fees. €201.95. So nearly €90 in the difference between the two. Mind you, you've got to fly there. Get a hotel and stuff like that. Um, actually, they're very. I looked yesterday on booking.com. Unless we. What we need to do really is call the hotels directly in Cork on the date of the gig because looking on booking.com, there is no hotels available. I mean, there's a few rooms, I think, maybe in the Roadstone Park on the night, but no city hotels appear on booking.com on the night of the gig itself. So we'll directly call the hotels and see what's available and uh, what the price is. But you know, we're talking about the great buzz with all the different gigs on Side next summer. Sting, backed up by Blondie, Take That, uh, Bruce Springsteen, lots of other gigs for the Marquee, lots of other gigs for uh, Live at Musgrave Park and what have you. So it's going to be a great summer of music on Side. But you remember yesterday in different conversations, the name Tom Busteed was mentioned. Um, based down in Monkstown, big into his horses, horse whispering and training of horses. I think that's probably what he always had in common with his good friend Bruce Springsteen, a love of horses. So we were chatting about Tom yesterday. He joins me by phone. Tom, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? I'm good. It's been a w- Don't tell me it was 2013 when we last spoke, please. I think it was, yes, oh indeed. Yes. Did you, you know, so when he was, in, when he was on Lee's side, did you hook up? We did, yes, indeed, we did. Uh, I met him at the Dublin gig, uh, the last recent gig, and um, you know, COVID like changed everything in the world, and it definitely um, we didn't see each other as much. Obviously, uh, things changed. Then he got busy with the tour again, so I haven't seen Bruce, but I did see him on that occasion, and he was in great form. But obviously, ran into trouble uh, health-wise with ulcers and whatever, and had been going through a lot of pain. Obviously, got it sorted and back on track again now. Okay, I wasn't aware of his health issues. He came back from all yeah. of that, did he? At the age at the he age did. of seventy-four. That's right. He's in incredible shape. Works out and. Um, 
just looks after himself basically always did really and from what we know and what we've seen of him and the trips that we were there he would always look after himself when he is chilled this guy is so chilled he's horizontal because he, I, he, I think you met him in Dublin after the gig did you anyway like you had a he had a he had a shower and came back down was it that's right I mean he would yeah he'd go and he'd mix for a while and then go back to his room or whatever uh, but when he's off duty as it were uh, at home he would chill on the beach great man to read books and uh, very chilled out horse wise he might go for a trek or a hack but he's not into it big time but his daughter's a professional is she is she Olympic standard one, or something is she one of the best riders in the world Neil yeah um, now to keep these jockeys in <laughs> in horse flesh at that level it costs millions no it, bother uh, to him there well, no bother to him, really, no, uh, but it's hard. They've got to keep them sound. They've got to keep them right and uh, very demanding. But she is a very, very, she's an incredible uh, horsewoman and will be obviously trying to get on the Olympic team, uh, which many more will be, but she's of, of that standard, yeah. They say that the tickets that went on sale yesterday, now this is the sun, so believe what you will from the tabloids, that that was worth something in the region of a cool... 26 million to Bruce Springsteen. Uh, mind you, I mean, he's got to pay, he's got to pay for the tour and the band and all the rigging and, you know, transportation, I imagine, out of all of that. Is he money, do you, do you, would you strike him as somebody that's money focused? No. No, yeah. definitely not. Uh, money comes with the job, obviously, and the way they're running it, the manager and the whole team. Uh, this show that they're running now, it's, you, you saw the gigs over the years, the Rolling Stones and all these people and how loose they'd be on stage. And they, But this particular set is very, very tight, as they say. It's, it's nearly to the point of rehearsed. Everything, every song he sings, the way that the backing singers uh, move, the way they do things, this, this is the tightest show that he's ever done. It's very, very well put together. Um, there's no stone... Unturned. Everything mm. is very, very. You know, no, I know he's, that from he's, this, all the band. He's a total pro. But some of the stats actually behind his earnings within his career say that, with regards to his musical career on its own, six hundred and fifty million dollars. Right. Um, that's not including the annual earnings uh, that he's getting in for his music being played, which is coming in something like eighty million dollars. Um, and then on top of that, he sold all of his back catalogue to Sony for somewhere in the region of 500 to 600 million. So he really is, um, he's close to becoming a double billionaire. It's like, you'd never it's, it's get incredible. to spend, but you'd and never get to spend that. No, definitely. And he's not, as they say, he doesn't seem to be a big spender, as it were. Like, I said to him one time, are you going to keep gigging? This is years ago. And he said, somebody's got to pay for these horses. <laughs> and, then, but, and then some like, is he, is he flash? Does he have... Homes all over the world. Does he got? Does he got he to hang out down in Barbados? Yes. He got a big yacht or what? No, not into the big yachting really. Um, does have homes as well, but loves being at home back in New Jersey. Uh, likes to keep it simple enough. Um, you can see when he goes to the gig, be it Dublin or wherever, he likes to go out and maybe go to a local pub or have a little chat with the locals. Um, he's a he's a cool dude, um, Neil. He's the real McCoy. He, so, yeah, he does, and he um, he he 
managed himself very well. He's taken some hits down through the years, but friends, he, um, you, a lot of, a lot of the band members as well, Clarence and Danny, has to, um, yeah. and yeah, and um, he, he's lost some good friends, you know, over the years, but keeps it going. He's got a good team around him. Uh, the 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 set, very, very good. Um, they're all there, very professional about what they do, very keen, and really they have great time and respect Bruce very, very highly. Mm-hmm. Um, you think, uh, you think he's coming to Cork because, you know, as you mentioned about hotels there, it's lovely for the Cork fans to be able to go to him and not have to go to Dublin and pay exorbitant oh, prices for doubt. hotels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, we, there are some serious fans down here as well, you know. And uh, I know one guy there, I think he's from Carrigaline, Ollie McAndrew, and he's going to Kilkenny, Cork, Dublin and Wembley. You weren't listening yesterday, but it was talking to at least one person, at least, who had seen him. Well, one girl said 40 times and still counting. Uh, another chap, Kevin, was on the air. He says his son has travelled all over the world. His son now, picked up the love of Bruce Springsteen from his dad, has seen Springsteen 28 times. I think Ralph Regal... Kevin Meany. That's Kevin and his son, well said. Yeah, I've met them and uh, they are lovely guys. Kevin's a lovely fellow and his son equally. And they have been all over. They, obviously the son took it on from dad. He was at the 85 concert in Slane. And when somebody says they were there, that means they're a fan. They've followed on from that time. Do you get plagued by people asking you to get a meet and greet or a shake hands or a selfie with them? Not plagued, but you do get requests and I, I it's 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 very hard. I mean, um, somebody would say, "Are you going to the Cork gig?" I don't. I will probably will, but I don't. I I couldn't say what's happening. Uh, we just sit and wait, and if we get tickets or we get invited, we get invited. If we don't, we don't. You know, it's 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 a closed shop. We can't just sort of say, "Oh yeah, I'll get you tickets." It's not that easy. Yeah, I'll get you backstage. I'll get you access yeah, all it, areas. It, it doesn't work that way. You know, and we, in all the trips we've had, we were we never um, we always kept it low profile. We would never. There was times when somebody asked me for an, to get an autograph. And it took me four visits or four meetings for me to pluck up the courage and ask because you would be at a, a gig or whatever and you'd say, uh-uh, not today. He's not in the mood. And I remember being in Dublin one year and we were in the Merrion Hotel and he, uh, his right-hand man at the time was a lovely guy called Terry McGovern. And he did everything for Bruce. You know, he was always there. He passed away, unfortunately. But they were sitting in the... Um, sort of uh, foyer and I just walked past and Bruce said Tom he said I'm in the writing mood in other words I could, and I couldn't think of who I wanted autographs for because he just hit me straight away but he was in the mood as they say you know and there was times when you wouldn't even ask him that time of day <laughs> Can you, could you tell like that he was going to like yeah no a, that's it but uh, look, it's, 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 they're incredible they give great value for money they, they, he puts a lot into his concerts as you know yeah. and yeah. Um, yeah. for fans it's, it must be marvellous you you know, did you stay in, the, in, in, in his gaff Oh, we did. We stayed uh, many times, yeah. We, <laughs> we had times. great times. We had great fun. We went to some parties there. I remember my friend in, in Limerick who introduced me to Bruce called Linda Bulger, a great trainer in Limerick. And um, he rings me one day and he said, they want us out. And I said, what do you mean? I said, is your passport in order? I said, it is. Well, we're going to the 2000 Millennium Party. 
You remember the 2000 yeah, million? Yeah, I remember that. So we Dan flew Squibb. out yeah. and we went to, we stayed on the farm um, and we were then drove to, or at least I did, I had to do the driving out to the coast uh, on uh, New Jersey and we went to a lovely party, family and friends. And I say I spent an hour and a half dancing with his mum, Adele, <laughs> that evening. What a lovely lady, an absolute gem. And they were. It was a lovely evening. Nothing wild about it, but just a lovely. Okay, lovely just on the whole, using the word wild, um, and I, obviously you won't give away any state secrets. But my impression of Springsteen when he's off would be a kind of a guy who would like his cold beers or his shots of Jack Daniels or, or cheeseburgers or eating barbecue food. Is that a million miles away from the real him? That's him. Oh, I've got it right then. You have it right. Yeah, <laughs> very, very much so. Okay. Very much so. Because I thought at 74, with such a very, very strict, with such a busy schedule, that he'd have to be really careful and very much clued into what he eats and drinks. Very much so. He's, he's, he's look, as, as I said, back at home, Neil, he's a very chilled individual. He, he's a good family guy. Uh, his family respect him. Uh, he's got he's a great way about him. His wife Patty is an incredible lady, and um, obviously a very happy couple. And uh, any time we've been there, they're marvelous, absolutely. Okay, so incredible. he does kick back then, and he enjoys life's simple pleasures. Does he have a lo- does he have a load of fast motor cars in the driveway, kind of thing? He has a couple of nice old Chevrolets. He's got a couple of motorbikes. Often goes for a spin on one of those. Uh, took us on a lovely trip one time down to Asbury Park and showed us where he lived and what went on and um, where they played and the Stone Pony and we had a great trip and he gave us lots of time and showed us all the different areas where he was and what went on in Asbury Park at the time and uh, we stopped in a diner on the way down and it was just marvellous In walks Bruce Springsteen for a cheeseburger in a local diner that must have gone down a treat It was was great they came down the, 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 the owner came down then she had to go back up for her mum and then the mum hadn't seen Bruce for a century and she was crying over it and uh, very look basic stuff Tom you gotta try the onion rings here you gotta do this yeah but Tom you, you gotta bring him to some um, of the food delicacies on Lee's side now what are you planning maybe a trip to Kelly's on Oliver Plunkett Street for bacon and cabbage corned beef and cabbage well, maybe would... one of the Long Valley Sambos or something what do you think yeah well, the Long Valley would be a good one wouldn't it so yeah. look nearer the time hopefully we'll see what happens Um they keep it pretty tight to schedule. They plan it well. Uh, he would say maybe at a random, we would. I'd like to go wherever. So that could happen. But you, you, again, you don't know. It's a while away. So let's hope and get him, get him up to ring the out. Shandon bells and drive the residents up there nuts, <laughs> plaguing them. You could do a Bruce Springsteen number on the Shandon bells. Yeah, well, <laughs> hopefully we look forward to it and all the fans will look forward to a few great gigs here and that he's coming to Lee side is marvellous. All right, I'll talk to you in the spring when it gets a little bit closer. Is that all right with you? Oh, definitely. No problem at all, Neil. I'd like to compliment you on your support of all those that were flooded uh, over the time in Should the we do East Cork can, area uh, and that. We and uh, amazing. We, we, as a family, we suffered with flooding in Carrigaline, and I know all about it. And uh, I must say it to compliment you on your support. Uh, that's all. We do what we can. Stuff. Great to catch up, Tom. Would you believe I didn't know it was 10 years? It's way too long. I'll talk to you in the Great. spring, all right? Thank you, Neil. Cheers, Pleasure. man. 
Talk to Neil Prendeville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Yes, indeedy. I think I might well have an update. I know I have an update with Donal regarding John Joe Dahl, uh, who disappeared in a, a van jeep yesterday, a big black jeep uh, at the family home. Um, and that was about four o'clock yesterday afternoon. There was a couple of sightings. They were very worried. Everybody was out and about looking for him. Let's get the update from Donald. Donald, good morning. Hi, Neil. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Not again. at all. Since um, we spoke, what he, happened? He, oh, we just got a phone call off the Gardaí Blown Kinsale, of all places, Kinsale. and he had showed up at the Garda station there with the Jeep. Did he arrive at the Garda oh. station himself? I'm not 100% sure on the details, but he's with the Gardaí right now in Kinsale Garda station. Okay. I have no idea how he got there or why he got there, but he's there. He's a long way so, from home. A very long way from home. Thankfully, safe and well, though, you know, because his driving would have been erratic. He was been driving for a long, long time. That's a miracle. It, it, it's nothing short of it. Any, uh, I know it's not Christmas yet, but by God, that's as close to a Christmas miracle as we're going to get. You must be totally relieved, all of the family. Absolutely. Um, major, major. There's, there's celebrations nearly going on here. We're just, we're, we're going back now for his medication and we're going heading to Kinsale now to pick him up. Have you spoken just, to him yet, Donal, any of the family? No, we haven't, we haven't. But the guard told me that he's sitting down there drinking a cup of tea, not a bother on him. After his journey, after his adventure. Yeah. And is there any, I won't keep because I know you didn't need to scoot and I'm delighted with the news, but has he any connection with Kinsale that he would have gone from Tallow to Kinsale? I can't say, not that I know of. Not that I know of, but it doesn't mean that he doesn't. So yeah. I, I, could, I, couldn't say, I couldn't say yes or no. I know, I know. Well, listen, that's all for another day. You need to get the skates yeah. on and get down and get reunited with Dad, your in-law, but everybody else, of course, in the family was as missing him as much as you were. That's great news. I'm so happy for you, really and truly. Yeah. I just want to say a big thank you to you for and your researchers. They were very kind for all your help and for everyone. Uh, listen, okay. Donald, you drop, yeah, a, you drop everything for a story like that. Oh, well, there was a lot of people rang me and text me after we talked and there was people going sitting in their cars and going travelling and we just, I, I, I probably speak for the whole family when I just want to say we are very grateful and we can't show our gratitude enough. We are so thankful Delighted. for all the help and all the kind words and all the well wishes we've gotten. Alright, I'll let you get well, on to Kinsale it's going to be a very a happy journey. Story. Absolutely, of course we're not sure whether he drove to Kinsale Gardaí or whether Kinsale Gardaí managed to find him but you'll have all of that clarified when you get there and you can have a big well, get together. I give When I have details if you want I will talk to Era, you. Well. Listen in your own time. While you're down there, pop into Dino's for fish and chips while you're there. Don't waste the opportunity of going to beautiful Kinsale without a bit of food. I, uh, I haven't eaten since yesterday morning. Well, so there you go. That. Talk to talk to Dad. See if he's hungry. Into Dino's you go for a big plate of fish and chips. Go for it. Lovely. Thank you so much. All right, Donald. We'll chat with you again. Thank you so much. That's great news. Thank you to Donald. Thank you to everybody. Actually, Donald said it best when he thanked everybody that contacted him. John Joe Dahl has been found in Kinsale. He's safe and well, and the family are going down to be reunited with him. So a lovely, lovely story in that regard. Kind of delighted. I really am. Just back to, to Springsteen. Good to chat with uh, Tom uh, Bosti. Don't mention my name because it's a Christmas present, but I just got Bruce Springsteen tickets for Milan. The people I'm giving them to love it. 
concert in Milan. The tickets started at 68 euro and there's plenty of them. A nicer and cheaper weekend away than anywhere in this rip-off country of Ireland and better weather as well. So 68 euro for the tickets. Another one, Neil, you could go to Valencia or Milan with flight, tickets, accommodation, the works for about 650 euro for a couple. Whereas the tickets are over 300 euro to stand in a field for the pair of them in Cork. Um, I'd always stay the extra few nights in hotels around gigs and make a holiday of it. The other prices are cheaper, so it usually balances out. I used to always play dumb about the concerts as well and try to guilt them into giving me cheaper rates on the night. Good luck with that because of the demand for uh, hotel bedrooms and what have you on the night of gigs. But that's just a selection, actually, of text. But one of them that jumps off the page is uh, €68 for a Bruce Springsteen concert ticket in Milan, whereas here on Leaside, €168.80 to sit down and €143.80 to stand on the pitch in Porky Cueve. Now, I want to get back to this because Dr. Michael Murphy is a leading lecturer at the Institute of Art, Design and Technology, music industry expert himself, and he's been quite critical in the past of ticket prices and joins me by phone. Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good, my man. So if ever a comparison were needed, the Bruce Springsteen gig in Milan, €68, and a standing ticket on Leaside, €143.80. Why? Well, I'm still going to Cork over Milan, but it, it's a very, very good point um, about the, the trend in, in ticket prices. And, you know, I'm an obsessive gig goer, so I'm not just someone who studies it. I've been to 5,000 gigs. Wow. It, it's it's such an important part of my life. And I hate to think that going to a gig has become a luxury item. I think it should be affordable. No, luxury I, items, I was, yeah, yeah. You know, and it's very interested, um, you know, in the examiner, who I think has been covering this brilliantly, you know, in the way that you have as well. Um, Leo Varadkar, you know, was quoted saying, look, we're not going to step in and tell people what to charge for, for concert tickets because we get the VAT and the VAT is helpful. So if we're a country where tickets are more expensive than in other places, let's see where the VAT is going to support new bands. Look at all the brilliant bands that are coming out of Cork at the Mm. moment. Are they getting the support? And, you know, the big concerts are part of the ecosystem. And are we just putting on big concerts so tourists will come in and book hotels, which is great for employment. It's it's great for, for local revenue, but can local people go to see the gigs or are we just going to stand around and watch wealthy people come in, have a great time in Ireland, see the gig and jet back out? Yeah, but, if you put, yeah, but if you put price control on concert tickets, the artists won't travel, will they? Well, it, you know, it, it's, it, it, it depends on how invested they are on catering to their fan base and, and I, I love the you know Tom's story of Springsteen, and Tom mentioned the key words in terms of concerts, which is value for money. Does Springsteen give value for money? Absolutely, but the ticket price is not ultimately what everyone's going to pay. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to go to the secondary market. It's going to go through touts, and we're seeing industrial touting now. Neil, and that's the huge problem. What's going on with Ticketmaster? They have a second site. So I can buy a ticket on Ticketmaster at face value, say for instance 143 euro. I can put it I can resell I can resell it then on a sister site of Ticketmaster, having just bought it for multiples of that amount, is it? 
Yeah. So why wouldn't you do that? If you thought, you know, the, the Beyonce or the Taylor Swift or the Shania Twain ticket is worth more than the face value, why wouldn't you buy a ticket, even if you're not going to go to the gig, to speculate on it. So tickets have become a mini stock exchange. Yeah, but Ticketmaster like, are part of that, though. They're part they, of they that, that scalping. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, it, you know, in the old, in my days, the, the tout would have been the guy standing outside the venue saying, hey, you know, do you want a ticket? Why on a Where now it's industrial. And that's a real worry because it's bidding up, you know, people are unwillingly going into an auction. Has any of this got to... I read an article some months back and I I can't remember the exact figures on it, but it was comparing the uh, public indemnity insurance for an Ed Sheeran gig in the north of Ireland and an Ed Sheeran gig on Leaside in Cork. And it was like chalk and cheese, the difference between, you know, insurance cover that was needed for both gigs. It was tiny in the north and it was ginormous here. Um, Is is it just Ireland is a much... say Say the band can or anyone involved can justify a ticket price of 168.80 for a seat at a Brunsbury Springs ticket because they justify by saying Ireland is a very expensive country to do business in. Yeah, well, we're, 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 we're a victim of our own success. We're a victim of our geography. And we're a victim of the fact that we love going to gigs. So, you know, for Springsteen, for Garth Brooks, remember that whole farce about the, the Crow Park gigs. It, it's more expensive if you're touring mainland Europe to come to Ireland. Because it's it an island, is it? And they have exactly, to ship everything exactly. across sea. So, so, so the freight, like the amount of of, of, of freight that a, a major gig entails, it, it might be five or six articulated lorries. It's the time that it takes to, to get on the ferry or, you know, if you, you can't fly that much gear in. And what we're seeing, and you two were the perfect example of this, where you, you bring three sets of equipment on tour with you. So set A is in Barcelona while the gig is going on. The crew, a different crew, are setting it up in Paris for the next night. And then there's a third one that might be going to Portugal. So it genuinely has become more expensive to tour. But why would We're a Milan not- ticket be 68 euro? And um, uh, it's 168 here. I know, I know. And it, 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 now there are legitimate reasons. It's because the Spanish wouldn't pay what we team seem to put up with, isn't it? Yeah, I, I absolutely think you're right. It's supply and demand. So, you know, if if you're a concert promoter, if you're a ticket master, would you not put up the price if people are willing to pay for it? And the big problem is that people are being encouraged to, to scout the tickets because we hear all these stories of, oh, they're changing hands for 200 or for double the price. Why wouldn't you buy a ticket even if you're not going to go to the gig because you hear all of these stories? You you also make an interesting point. Thank you for making it in in your in your chat with the lads. Was that this is difficult for Springsteen to be able to justify a ticket price like that, considering he comes across as being the working class hero and all that. Yeah, and and you know in his case, I, I think it's genuine. Like I, I don't think that's a that's a put on. And I've met him, and you know as Tom was saying, I don't know the way Tom knows him, but he was the most incredible gracious, lovely, ordinary guy. So I, I think his, you know, what you see is what you get with him. And I think he was really, really caught in a horrible trap the last time he came to Ireland, where, do you remember the tickets went to auction? So 
some of the tickets went to to that auction, you know, what they call dynamic pricing, which is where the, the ticket price can go up while you're on hold, while you're in the queue on the PC. And in fairness to him, he clamped down on that. And for this tour, it's, you know, what you see in terms of the, the, the cover price is is genuinely... Would he even be aware of a, a ticket differential between, say, Milan and Cork? Yeah, yeah. He, he would? He, he, yeah, he, he's obsessive. Uh, he, he would absolutely be, be aware. He's like Ed Sheeran. You know, he's worked really hard to keep the prices affordable when he can. Now, he's well into his career, so maybe he's not, you know, thinking, OK, if I can get someone into the gig they'll be with me for 10 or 20 or 30 years you know he's at the latter stage of his his career but um no he'd be very very well aware and he's also been advised by people who are saying yeah you know tickets are just expensive in ireland yeah, so yeah, don't worry about it don't lose any sleep don't worry but like they'll they'll pay if and you took if you took not fair if, on yeah, us. yeah if you took one euro right um and tried to break it down uh, who who gets the lion's share of the euro, for instance? Let's say a ticket price was one euro. Who gets the most of it? That that that's a great point, and now it would vary in terms of the production. So, if he's bringing a really expensive production, the type that you might see with Lady Gaga, um, you know, the the really really expensive, you know, team. At, at that case, a lot of the cost would be sunk. But in terms of if if you're saying that the profit, Ticketmaster would take their bit, it, his booking agent would take a little bit, his manager is, is on commission basis normally, so they'd be taking a bit. And, the, you know, the, the venue has to be paid, the, the promoter is taking a bit. Um, concerts, they, they are profitable, but they're not as profitable as, as people might imagine. Okay, so if everybody's taking a nibble out of it, does the artist make the most... Yes, yes. Oh, okay. without question. Or, okay. or why, why else would they do it? Yeah, okay. And the only way we can and change this is by people not buying the tickets. But that's not going to happen yeah, anytime soon. No, and, and that's really hard. But, you know, one way that it can change is we can absolutely clamp down on touting. And we can say, look, that's got to stop. You can't be the primary seller and no, the secondary that's insane. seller. And you can't set up a... They're winning. A they're making on it twice. They're making on it twice. It's all wrong. Yeah, Neil, to be honest, they're making on it more than twice because if the ticket and right now Ticketmaster is trying to um, change the law in the States to, to make a ticket a piece of intellectual property so that you don't own the ticket you just borrow it from Ticketmaster to go to the gig but if the ticket is resold every time it's resold Ticketmaster would get a, a profit <laughs> and you know that's going to lead to, to mass oh, speculation man, you know and it, you've got the bots in there as well so the, the punter really is getting fewer and fewer chances so the punter on the laptop the or their mobile phone as a human being is also up against bots and computerised programmes buying tickets also yeah and, and and just the sheer volume of demand, even if there weren't bots involved, just the sheer volume of demand because people realise, hey, I can buy a ticket. Springsteen is keeping them as low as he can, you know, and per his advisors. But if I think I can buy the ticket and I can double the money, why wouldn't you no, buy it? You ticket? would have a load of you know, speculators. So it's not fair. Yeah, yeah. It's not okay. fair. All right. So we've to, we've to stop the secondary selling. All right, we've my man. Appreciate you taking the call. You said you've been to Brilliant. what? Did you say 5,000 gigs? 5,000. What was the uh, best concert you ever saw? Well, there's a Cork band called Cypress Mind that, that I absolutely <laughs> adored back in the day. Go away. And 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Tony O'Donoghue managed them. That's, that's, that's you know, incredible. That, but you're saying that was the best gig? That That's in my top 10 because it was just like, who are these guys? And then what, my first gig was Dexys Midnight Runners in 1980 in the Mansion House in Dublin. That was a cracker. And then my probably all-time favourite, there was a, a gig I went to in LA, a radio station called K-Rock put it on and it was the Foo Fighters Radiohead, Oasis, Blur, The Cure, Echo and the Bunny Men, and it was on a rotating stage. Oh my god! No gap. That's a dream no gig. <laughs> yeah, so that was. Yeah, I, I could have died after that one. That's your number one. But, Lovely to yeah. chat, Michael. Talk soon my again. Pleasure. Mind yourself. Take care. Bye now. to Michael Murphy from the Institute of Art, Design, and Technology. Loves his music. More on music next with. Uh, Postman Jack. I'm going to celebrate his birthday. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. And keep your text coming. Text 0868-104-106. Big fan of the who, me. Happy Jack wasn't old, but he wasn't there. Lived in the sand of the island man. The kids would all sing, he would take the long So they rode on his head in their furry Great stuff, Happy Jack from Happy Jack to Irish Jack. Jack, good morning. Good morning. Happy Grown control, control to Major Needy. <laughs> it's been a while since we last chatted. I want to wish you a happy 80th birthday today, my friend. Thank you very much, Neil. We last spoke, I think, you did an amazing interview with me way back in 2007. Oh, for God's sake. When the who came to the marquee. That's right, what a gig. I was out of the country for that. I was livid but I missed that and I also missed the Roger Waters gig at the marquee. Two of the ones I really well, hated no, I missing. I was told that you deliberately wanted to be out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> Come here, listen, what a life 80 years later. Where did the time go from a 19-year-old from Cork sneaking out of your aunt an uncle's house to go to your first dance and discovering the who under another name was it? That's it there were the details and it was June 1962 and they were a wedding band (laughs) and they were all working except Pete Townsend who was at our college I was working in the London Electricity Board on Shepherdsbush Green in the offices I was 19 they were 17 so Neil it's a staggering statistic I'm no 80 today, thank God, and I have only not known the who for 19 of those years. So for, what is the maths on that? For 69, 71, for 71 of those years you've been on first, 61 of those years you've been on first name terms. Did you go up and introduce yourself or something? I did. Um... I went to the, this little dance in, in Shepherd's Bush and there was about 30 people at it and it was, it was a, a youth club. So everybody was standing over the other side of the dance floor and I was on my own on the other. And um, when the 
the dance was over, I went across and they were lifting their little 20 watt amp off of steel tubular chairs. And I just went over and um, had it for this guy with a long nose and straight hair and six foot tall. And I said, hello. I said, I'm Jack from Shepherd's Bush. And he said, well, hello, Jack from Shepherd's Bush. I'm paid for mailing. Pete Townsend. He was Pete Townsend for mailing common. So what happened like, What happened thereafter? You just started to hang out with them. You, I just you know, started to hang out. I just started to hang out. And um, for a long time, people had this idea. Um, my, my brother Patrick, round about the time that Rory Gallagher used to be playing in the cavern with Tess, my brother would often sort of mention to somebody that his brother Jack in in London, in Shepherd's Bush, was great friends with Pete Townsend. And of course, the, um, the, the immediate response he would get was, oh yeah, sure, of course he is. And stuff like that, you know. Non-believers, oh, my, yeah. yeah. My, yes. And my brother changed it to, did you know that my brother Jack is a roadie with the hoes? <laughs> and all of a sudden, everyone, all caucus Jesus, Patrick Lyons' his brother Jack is a roadie in Shepherd Bush with the hoes. And of course, it, it was a fabrication of the truth, you know. I was a very, I, was a, I never walked with the band. I was, I was never employed by the band. But you did, you did follow the band, and you did do an I, awful lot of work at ticket and selling. I started writing a couple of songs about me, such as the one you started with, Happy Jack, and then Pete Townsend wrote um, Quadrophenia, based on me and my modest way of life. Oh my God, oh my! I read that in the Irish life. Times. You, you said that to Carl O'Brien. One of the lyrics, actually, from a Who song, spoke about uh, about Jack selling tickets down the alleyway. That's you, they were talking. That was it. That's not on Quadrophenia. That song is called um, Long Live Rock. And uh, Billy Fury sang that song in um, That'll Be the Day with David Essex. And when it came into the Capitol years and years ago, um, I got home from work and I said to my wife, Mara, I said, look, I, I want you to come to see this film with me. And of course, she wanted to know what was the film. And of course, I didn't want to spoil the surprise. So this was going on for half an hour. And um, in the end, anyway, look, I said, you just have to come to this film. And she said, well, what, what is it? I said, it's actually David Essex in That'll Be The Day. And she said, well, you know, I'm not a big fan of David Essex. And I, I just had to, in frustration, I just looked at her out, look for the love of Jesus. I said, would you just come because Billy Fury is going to sing about me? <laughs> <laughs> so we did get we did it was weird I mean it was controversy singing along the rock and people walking sideways pretending that they're leaving we put on our makeup and walk around the leaving Jack is in the alley selling tickets made in Hong Kong that's the so line the yeah wonder where the band's gone you know that's the so, line but like what was the, that was the era of the mod so you were, yeah, were you were you a mod then? Did you have the mod sorry, dress sorry. sense? I was a, I was a huge mod. I'm still a mod. Do you still dress with sharp sharp suits? Oh, yeah, of course, and I have a red um, a Ferrari red Piaggio Vespa, <laughs> which is always parked in town <laughs> out, out, outside Fitzgerald's um, uh, menswear. But down through the years, have you always been in touch with them? You know, on the end of the I phone, have, changing yeah, emails. Always. Um, I'm 
I ring Roger about maybe Roger Daughtry about maybe once a fortnight and um, What do you chat about? We, we, that's a great question Neil We never talk who We talk grandchildren Go away. <laughs> I've got four He's got eleven And why do you think they took to you back in the day? Because you were you described yourself as being a very kind of a shy, awkward kind of a 19-year-old, you know? I was. I was. When I was growing up in Shepherd's Bush, I was um, embarrassed about my Irish accent. I was embarrassed about my curly hair. I was embarrassed about my low height. I did not have good self-esteem. And um, Pete Townsend... We used to listen to all this stuff. We would sit in a car after a gig and I was telling telling him all about my um, different hang-ups and stuff. What I didn't realise, Neil, is that he was making a moratorium of what I was telling him. And he was put, putting together all these little bits of information about me and um, started writing Quadrophenia in 1971 and all it came. And tell me... Will will they be in touch with you today? Are they aware that it's your yes, 80th? Yes, will. Roger will probably ring me today because he texted me last week and um, just said, what day is your birthday? <laughs> so Pete will send an email, obviously. So, so um, you know, it seems as if they you treat know, you as a band one, member. Do you know what I mean? As like one of the lads. One of the yes, I I did people describe me as the fifth member, which is a bit embarrassing. I know, but it like you were that close to them. I would think that's a good analogy. I'm extremely close to them, and nobody goes back further than me. You see, uh, um, in an in an audience um, uh, way of a uh, sense, because nobody I've never met anyone, or the band has never met anyone that's come up and said, "Look, I saw you play." in Shepherd's Bush in Bosley's, not to be confused now with the Goldhawk Social Club, but came later. <laughs> but I saw you playing in Bosley's in June 1962. That never happened. That's a record that only you hold. I, I, I'm, I want to uh, dedicate my birthday today to my fantastic wife, Mara. And I have paid pleasure in saying over the air that I am married to the only girl in Cork who saw the Who and the Doors on the same night. Oh my God, on either sides of the street? No, or the sa- yeah, I heard a little bird told me you saw the Who on one side of the road, then crossed the street to see Dire Straits. I had to do that because Dave Master, who is now Bruce Springsteen's uh, official biographer, came to Cork to interview me for his book. Unbelievable. And he went back. He went went back to London, and then I got a letter from him to come over to um, uh, London for Bruce Springsteen show. And this is an amazing thing, uh, Neil. Bruce Springsteen's band, the East Street Band, were all gathered in the Mayfair Hotel just before we went to the show at Wembley, and they were sitting around. And the only thing these this is quite true. The only thing that these guys were actually worried about on that day was could they get tickets to see Jimmy Connors at Wimbledon <laughs> that is a fact and I met Springsteen and he said hey, you're, the, you're, you're the guy that Pete Townsend has been telling me about Irish oh, Jack Irish what Jack a, what a lovely man yeah yeah. What listen will we, will we play out with Substitute because that was written yeah. about you right Yes, yes, there are the connotations of Irish Tech and Substitute. <laughs> I, I just want to say that, uh, look, 
I meet her today, Neil. It's, <laughs> it's a milestone. I will be here only for the woman I married to. Lovely. Well she said. A, she was a bigger mad than me when I met her, when I first met her in June in 1967 in the Majorca. Happy days. Vicky Rock and the Miami Chauvin. Happy days. How are you going to celebrate today? Well, we had our celebration last Saturday, the big family do, but um, no doubt I'll be open charge today. Listen, I hope you. I hope you'll be spoiled rotten, and you'll get that. You will. You will get those. You'll get those phone calls from your fellow band members. The Who. Happy birthday, Jack old pal. Happy birthday. And also Zach, our drummer, who is Ringo's son. So I'm expecting a call from him. You mix with the best of them. Look, it's a good life, and I appreciate it. And like everyone else, I suppose. I just take it for granted. Don't take it and for granted. I'm grateful for it. Happy so, birthday, um, Jack. Thank you very much. And lovely speaking to The Who and Substitute, written for Irish Jack Lyons, who celebrates his 80th birthday today, the fifth member of The Who. And may you have a happy, happy birthday. He's a wonderful guy. Listen, finally, Cork Opera House, we're back in touch. They say they have updated their website to highlight that there are family tickets available for this year's Panto. And to avail of a family ticket discount, you must book two adults and two under-18 tickets. Discounts vary at different times during the Panto run, but get online and find them yourself. But there are, as I say, family tickets available on the Cork Opera House website. They updated it yesterday afternoon. They did it quite quickly, actually, in fairness to them. Lines will stay open. You can text 0868104106. Happy birthday, Jack. Have a good day. See you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.